Hello, this is Janet Gallon welcoming you to Love Letters Live. And today's guest is a woman who's more or less a recent friend of mine. And, you know, I just want to say there's a lot to see with Terry Wong, And you'll see. And sometimes, you know, I've learned you look at a person and you think that what you see, don't ever think that's all there is. Because you came to me at one point and you said, I wrote a letter to my father. I would like to be on Love Letters Live. And I thought, perfect, wonderful. And then I asked you the question, what led up to this letter? So let me introduce you first. My guest is Terry Dora Wong, who is, you know, I'm going to let you just take it from here for a minute and describe what it is you do. Because you look like this all the time. You just look exquisite. <laughs> like a work of art all the time? Well, um, I just turned 65 on September 8th, so I'm officially an old lady now, <laughs> Medicare and everything. Um, so I've, I've worn a number of different hats in 65 years, and most of them have been artistic. I've done, I've designed knitwear, I've made hats, I've restored antique clothing. Um, at the age of 60, I became a print model, go figure. Um, you know, and I remember, I remember that actually. Yeah, so, and so, I mean, I remember when we first met. I was just. <laughs> I mean, my my mouth. I know you're not supposed to stare, but it's rude, and people can't help staring <laughs> at you. You were wearing something knitted that was so intensely bright and ornate and perfect. And when you said you made it, I of course didn't know how that could be. But your your talent is just exceptional. Can you talk oh. about? Can you talk about growing up um, and, oh, you know what, I did this, decline. Okay. Um, so I, I um, yes, you sent me, you sent me two essays that you had written. Right. One about your mother and one about some, another experience. Can you talk about those? Uh, did we want to talk about the love letter to my dad first or? I was thinking that you would talk about all that preceded it and then read it. Well, actually, either way you want, you do it. Actually, you actually his letter came first. So okay. um, this year, 2020 would be the 10th anniversary of my father's passing. And for some reason it hit me harder this year than all of the other past years. I mean, I don't know why I found myself missing him more than usual. I mean, his birthday is always around Chinese new year. You know, and as usual, I made all his favorite dishes and shared it with my family and friends. But of course, he wasn't there, you know, to help cook and stir and taste and, you know, but um, and I and I remember mentioning this to you at uh, a luncheon we were at and you said, well, why don't you write a love letter to your father and send it to your daughter? Oh, so that's I did. Said, yes. Yeah. So I did. And it was just short and sweet. And my daughter loved it. And um, so, yeah, so do you want me to read the letter? Hang on. Sure. I'd love you to. Okay. And besides the, you know, your connection with your father and the beauty of the letter and your feeling for him, somehow it's what preceded all that that is so interesting. Go oh, ahead and read that. <laughs> all right. So I wrote this letter on March 22nd, 2020, on the 10th anniversary of my father's death. Dear Dad, not a day goes by that I don't talk to you. I see or read something that I think will amuse you. I bring home another Yi Sheng teapot gift from Ming at Vital Tea Leaf 
and I hear you asking, how much business do you give them? <laughs> the adopted cocktail snowball whistles in different keys that would bring a grin to your face. I imagine you in heaven surrounded by all the birds you knew. Sonny, the bratty parakeet, who was really a Marine Sergeant reborn as a bird, unscrewing the earpiece on your glasses or sharing an ear of corn with you and sitting on your shoulder while you watch movies and TV shows with lots of car chases and explosions, flapping his wings and yelling, big boom. And Freckles and Jason canoodling in the corner and Red Boys singing your ear off. Every year as I prepare Chinese New Year food, I see you at the stove with spoon in hand, ready to taste all of grandma's recipes. I keep the house, atrium and backyard filled with the colorful orchids and Christmas cacti you loved. Your favorite white orchid cactus blooms every year in early March. I remember coming home from work one day and you grabbing me at the door exclaiming, it's blooming, and me asking, which one? <laughs> Last year, it had five blooms that luckily did not all open at once or the plant would have just tipped over. One of the large leaves fell off last year, so I planted it and currently it is thriving with three healthy leaves. I wish you could see all the amazing Western and Asian antique clothing I restore, collect, and wear. You would be amused by me becoming a print model at the age of 60 and a coffee table book called The Art of Dressing, and how you would love seeing the many whimsical Chinese children's hats I have been collecting and memorializing in a photo book that I hope to market to an independent book publisher. After three failed partnerships, I think you would like Ken. He and I both share a dark sense of humor and are both musicians. He plays jazz and I sing classical. Most importantly, we respect and support each other. We do not try to remake each other, but accept each other as we are, as we learn to distinguish between relationship problems and roommate problems. There are no words that can express how much gratitude I feel towards you and all you did for me and Mariko. The 1937 house we bought together is a dream come true. I feel so much joy as the sun pours into the breakfast room and every pink sky sunset I see is a miracle. I'm so happy you spent the last three years of your life living with me. I miss you. Love you always, Terry. Ah, oh, that's beautiful. I had forgotten that he spent the last three years living with you. Yeah. And yeah. I, do want, I do want to say something about all this, you know, 10 years since he's they're never gone. When we love them, they are never gone. Well, I know. I know. You know, I mean, I'm just saying that and it, he's so vivid, even in your reading. Uh -huh. well, why did he come to live with you his last three years? Well, my mother died in September of 2006. Uh -huh. and my father just didn't want to live alone. I mean, originally he wanted me to move into his house, which uh -huh. we'll get into later. You'll understand why I didn't want to do that. <laughs> So he said, well, fine, then we'll just buy a house together in San Francisco. And that's what you did? And that's what we did. How wonderful. And, and we bought the house in San Francisco. He sold his house in San Mateo. We paid off this house and wonderful. Yeah, he lived with me the last three years of his life. And he had so much fun. I mean, he had never had pets, you know, growing up as a boy. Oh, he's got that. <laughs> yes, well, growing up, well, he never met this one. I just adopted this one two years ago. Well, I mean, growing up as a boy, he never had pets. So, you know, the closest thing you get. What, kind, what kind of bird is that? Oh, this is a cockatiel. Oh, it is. Okay. Yes. Oh, adorable. So okay. Anyway, so, I mean, the closest thing he had to a pet growing up was probably the family chickens. So, oh. <laughs> not quite the same thing because we eat them, oh. you know. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so he comes into my house, and at that time I had a yellow parakeet and a boy and a girl cockatiel and a red canary. And, you know, my dad was going deaf, so he couldn't really hear a lot, but he could hear the range that the birds were singing in. So that, uh -huh. you know, that, that really delighted him. And my parakeet, he spoiled my parakeet rotten. I mean, I, I, you know, it's all his fault that my parakeet learned to love James Bond movies with all the car oh, chase cool. and the explosions. I mean, most birds would be scared witless, right? Of all that noise, yeah. right? But no, he'd be sitting there, he'd be flapping his wings going, big boom, big boom. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Can you, are, are you okay with talking about what, what your life was like when your mother was alive? I was so, I was so but, struck know, by the intensity of that difficulty. Well, yeah. it was interesting because, you know, when I sent the love letter to my daughter, that prompted a conversation about my mother. Uh-huh. Because, uh, because at the time we were coming up on Mother's Day and she was asking uh -huh. me what I wanted and stuff. And she was asking me, you know, what my feelings were towards my mother. And I said, well, you know, I know this is not terribly Buddhistic, but, you know, I just thank every day that she got to leave before he did. <laughs> you know, so that, oh, what was she yeah. like with you? Well, you know, growing up as a kid, unfortunately, my mother battered me horribly between the ages, probably. I'm sorry, she did what? She battered me. Battered you. Uh-huh. Um, probably starting from the age of about four or five up through most of elementary school. You know, and her forms of abuse could be anywhere from just a slap upside the head to shoving me in the shower with the hot water turned on full blast. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Did you show signs of this physically so that you went to school? Well, physically, well, no. So that's just it. She was very smart about it. She did not do anything that would actually show, you know. So, I mean, when she shoved me in the shower, she made sure that the hot water never touched my face or my hand, uh -huh. just my back. So my back has the scars instead of anywhere else. And your father was aware of this somehow? I don't think, you know, when he came to live with me, we talked about that. And mm -hmm. he claims he didn't know. And it might be true. He did work 24-7. I mean, he was always working. He took as many overtime shifts as he could so that he could pay off the house they were living in. And so he could sock money away from retirement. So it's possible he didn't know. Or if he did know, he sure. just didn't feel like he could do anything about it. Sure. You know, but the abuse stopped when I got to be old enough to fight back. What did and, you do to fight back? Um, this may be instructive for people who need to know this. Um, basically, I just stood up to her and I just said, you know, if you hit me again, I'm going to hit you. And she kind of backed up, you know. And she and never then, hit me again? No, she never hit me again. But then she, can, but then she started in with all the mental abuse. You know, you're so ugly, you're so stupid, you know, you really need to get an education because you're so ugly. No one's going to ever marry you. <laughs> you're no. a beautiful woman. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah, so, um, oh, yeah. so, I mean, so after I had the conversation with my daughter, you know, when she was saying, you know, mom, that's a little messed up that, you know, you're grateful that she died before your dad. I mean, it's just, well, yeah. I know it's messed up, but that's how I feel. And then it got me to chanting about it and thinking about, well, okay. I'm going to be 65 this year. Maybe it's time to just once and for all get this finally resolved, put it behind me so I can actually move forward. And what I finally came up with was, you know, the expression of, you know, you never know a person until you walk in their shoes. That's and so right. I really chanted to try to understand why my mother was the way she was. I mean, she clearly had some sort of a mental disorder. 
that had gone untreated and undiagnosed. But that's still not an excuse for what she did. So what I, the other thing I tried to think about was, okay, so what made her so profoundly unhappy that she would have to take it out on me? And I realized that, you know, before my grandmother had arranged the marriage with my dad. Uh -huh. And the reason for that was because she was having an affair with a married man. Your mother was? My mother was. So your grandmother wanted to put an end to that by arranging? She wanted to put it, and since my mother refused to cut it off, my grandmother uh -huh. arranged to marry her off. But then, mother, but then your mother agreed to that. So my mother agreed to that. And my dad, I don't know whether or not he knew that, you know, she'd been having an affair. But in any event, he agreed to marry her. Well, sadly, after they got married, she continued the affair. Oh. And she got pregnant with me. And he refused to leave his family. He refused to acknowledge me as his kid. So she went ahead and had me. And after I was born, she continued the affair. She even took me on dates with him. I mean, I remember waking up in a motel room with watching him coming out of the bathroom in his underwear, my mom getting into bed wearing, you know, a slip. And I'm going, huh, that's different. And how old, how old were you at this point? I was probably maybe three or four. Oh, that's so you didn't understand what was going on or know what to make of it. Yeah, it was like, you know, well, th that, okay, whatever. And I just turned over and went to sleep. And then the next morning, my dad came and he had a conversation with my mother outside the motel room. He took me back to the house and he clearly gave her some sort of an ultimatum that, you know, you either come home with me and Terry or you can go back to your mother's house in disgrace, divorced. Well, she chose to come home, but of course she made the next 18 years complete miserable misery for me, you know, between the physical abuse. But, and but how, how were your mother and your father together as a couple that you ever witnessed? They weren't. Just in day-to-day -day life. Yeah, day-to-day -day life. My father went to work really early in the morning. He came home really late at night. I can see why. And went to bed. Yeah. And, you know, the rare times he might be home, they very seldom spoke to each other. They what? They, oh, very, seldom, yes, yes. they very seldom spoke to each other. And, um, you know, he would interact with me with my schoolwork and he'd ask, you know, what I was reading, what I was studying and that. But other than that, he didn't, he didn't really have a whole lot of interest in the dynamics between me and my mother. I mean, you know. I imagine that would be really frightening. I don't know. You know, um, I mean, you know, when he came to live with me the last three years of his life and we talked about this, he was so profoundly apologetic about the fact that this had happened and that this had so profoundly influenced my life. You know, I mean, in spite of all that my mother did, you know, I realized that, okay, she was forced into an arranged marriage. She couldn't be with the man she loved, you know, and every time she looked at me, she could see the man she couldn't be with. Oh. And then when I started, you know, showing signs of being artistic, she tried to beat that out of me. I mean, she threw all my art, art, supplies away she threw my paintings away you know I mean and I think the irony of course is the more she tried to beat it out of me over the last 45 years I've done so many artistic things it's just ridiculous you're endless you're endless I mean it's been endless all the stuff I've done in spite of all that you know and I've actually been able to make a living at it I'd like to talk about the in spite of all that right this was horrible that you had to be raised under this awful cloud of abuse Mm -hmm. And how did you, how did you just, I don't even know how to phrase the question. How did you just continue with your strongest self? 
How did you not have any of this stamped out of you? Um, part of it was because I got to spend my summer and winter school breaks with my maternal grandmother. Oh, my maternal grandmother, she had a fairly good life in China. You know, she came here at the end of World War II. She had, you know, grandpa had set her up in a really nice estate, you know, one of those beautiful buildings with a courtyard in the middle and stuff. And so, but you know, when she came here, obviously she had to start all over. And she taught me how to be frugal. She taught me how to cook. Most importantly, she taught, she gave me a sense of self-worth so that no matter what I wanted to do, she would encourage me, even if she thought it was a little weird. I mean, when I told her I wanted to be an opera singer, she was thinking, I want to talk about that too. (laughs) She was thinking Chinese opera, you know, with the screeching cats. And I went, no, 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 grandma, no, different, no, Western opera. (laughs) And I played her some Mozart and she kind of got it. Okay. Can we just head into that? Because this friendship that we've had for what, a couple of years now. Yeah. And I thought I knew you because, you know, everything I see and I knew the things you did and looking at you was always like a day in heaven. Uh, And then I learned about the letter to your father and this, this dreadful experience of growing up under the cruelty of your mother, but Mm -hmm. your mother's mother Mm -hmm. was obviously different with you. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, did your mother's mother try to do something with her? And because of your mother's emotional instability, unable to, and she somehow got to have you as the cultural daughters that she really needed? I think so. I think so. I mean, I look like my maternal grandmother. You what? I look like my maternal grandmother. How lovely. Uh, we had the same facial shape. Uh-huh. My grandmother had green eyes. I have hazel eyes. Uh-huh. And the reason behind that was my grandmother was actually half Irish and half Chinese. Oh, interesting. Oh, you mentioned that there was a little bit of, yes. Yeah, my great-grandmother was an Irish missionary's daughter who married a Chinese businessman. Now, back in the 1800s, this was no small thing. Right, right. You know, I mean, you know, a mixed marriage back then, you know, in China of all places. Not welcome in most cultures. Was not going to be welcome. But I mean, because I think she was a missionary's daughter, I think. Well, did, did, learning, did learning all this about your mother and really kind of, as you say, you know, getting into her shoes, did this help you? It did help me. It, you know, I mean, ultimately what I, what I came up with was that I learned to forgive my mother for what she did. Which means I, Which is a huge thing for me. Yes. And yes, I forgive her, but I will never forget what she did. Okay. Never forget. Yeah, those are two completely different things. That's what I was kind of asking, yes. Yeah. But I mean, by doing that, by letting go of that angst and all of that, you know, you know, mommy issue stuff, it opened up a whole slew of other opportunities for, for me this year. So, but, but talking about opportunities, so at the end of now, I've got to know a new layer of my friend here, which <laughs> is your mother. And then there was that episode where you, oh, buried the hatchet with what the ex-wife of your yes the ex-wife of my ex-husband yes this this is an amazing story if you care to tell it because but then at the end of all this you said and you know and then I was an opera singer and I said what (laughs) well let's okay can you talk about that so I was with so so my stepson Brian I was with his dad for 17 years I mean we never officially got married but you know after 17 years as a couple you may as well have been but in any event um Brian's mother and I became friends. We met at his graduation at UC Santa Cruz. 
And I remember I had never met her before and she was at the graduation. And um, after the graduation, we decided to celebrate by going to the Monterey Bay Aquarium. And she got lost. I don't know how she got lost. She got separated from the group. And all of a sudden, Brian looks around and goes, where's my mother? I don't know. And of course, you know, his dad, of course, wasn't going to go look for her. And I said, okay, fine, I'll go look for her. And at that point, Brian's grandmother looks at him and she goes, you know, your mother, you know, Terry doesn't even know your mother and she just volunteered to go look for her. That one's a keeper. <laughs> well, what, what was the difficulty between the two of you that you mended finally on meeting? Well, it was interesting because the first time we met, I mean, she had never met me before. I mean, she'd known of me. She knew that Brian's father had been dating me and stuff. But I mean, I think she was just a little bit intimidated by me because I don't know. I mean, Tom liked to play his women off against each other. It's kind of stupid, but whatever. Um, and so she was kind of intimidated to meet me. And then once she met me, she realized, well, we're so much alike. We share the same dark sense of humor. We're both. Oh, so that, that came rather quickly, but without any real horror before it. Right. No. So, oh, I mean, good. you know, okay. you know, we, you know it was really, it was a really nice connection when we met at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Now, and, what, you know, about the opera, what about the opera singing? Well, I mean, let me get to the split part. So anyway, so yeah, we remained friends for a couple of years and then all of a sudden, you know, she was bipolar. I mean, she's still oh. is bipolar. And at one point she got into her head that, that her ex-husband had been having an affair with me about. Oh, the that was the, okay. Yes. She, she thought she got into her head that her ex-husband had been having an affair with me about the time that they got divorced. Well, that would have been kind of tough to do since I didn't know him at the time. <laughs> yes. You know, logistically, that would that probably wasn't going to work. But anyway, so yeah, so ten years ago, she told me basically to to go away, and I don't ever want to hear from you again. And so I did. I honored that. I figured, you know, I don't understand what the problem is, and I'm sorry to not have you as a friend, but I did not, you know, I did not try to to infringe on her privacy. And then in June of this year, she just out of the blue sends me a beautiful handmade card. <laughs> Just, yes. And some photographs of Monaco that have been taken at a birthday party of her ex-husband that uh, all three of us had thrown for him. And we always laugh about it because that was the party where Monica learned to hang a spoon off her nose. <laughs> an, so important, an important skill everyone should know, right? <laughs> you, know? you know something, but that is such a lovely lesson in how acrimony can be overcome by the right outreach. You know, the right, the right um, olive branch. Right, you know, and you. You know, and it was nice that she decided to extend the olive branch since she yes. cut it off yes. 10 years ago. And, and I guess it had to be when she was ready. Right, it had to be when she was ready. And yeah, and so, you know, ever since then, we, we're just back to where we were 10 years ago, you know, just yuck, 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 yuck. Oh, <laughs> wonderful, I love that. I like, <laughs> I like happy endings. We kind of just oh, like, tell me, about, tell me about opera singing. How old were you when you knew you could do that? Um, I started fairly late because, you know, most classical singers start like when they're in junior high and high school to get ready for this. And I didn't actually start until I was 18, 19 years old. What motivated so I, you? How did you know you could? I did. Well, you know, I sang in a chorus. Oh, OK. You know, so I knew I had a voice. OK. You know, and um, so, yeah, so I figured, you know, and and, you know, opera singing is kind of like acting. It's like play acting, you know, pretending you're somebody else for the day, sure. <laughs> you know. Did you do anything with the San Francisco opera or different? 
Um, I did, I worked in the opera chorus with Marin Opera and with West Bay Opera. Oh, okay. So, yes. Yeah. What? So I got to, I got to do that for about three years. And then sadly I had to give it up because I was divorcing Monaco's father and yeah. I needed a day job. So yeah. oh, that put an end to that. But I mean, I still sing. I mean, even though I haven't sung professionally in a couple of decades, I still sing. I still have my full range from the low A all the way up to that high D flat. <laughs> you know, and I, you know, and you know, it's a lot of fun because the the well, he's not going to sing now, but the cockatiel, and I have a Chinese canary. They both like to sing along when I'm vocalizing. Oh, that's so, just, yeah. yeah. So, so I do about just 30. go on layer after layer. I love it. Tell are you will you show us some of your creations? Can we yeah. have a little trunk show. Yeah, we can have a little trunk show. But before we go with the trunk show, I want to show you the books I did. Oh okay. yes. Okay, so at the age of 60, I was asked to be a model in this book. I remember you showed us that at that luncheon. And what I love is that, you know, the author decided to give all of us 12 pages, so that was not, wasn't going to be any, you know, futzing. But I really love that they hired an illustrator uh -huh. to do watercolors of us. You know, and of course, my favorite picture, of course, is with my little bird that passed after. Uh -oh. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, so that, you know, so, you know, when I think of things like these, I think of that my dad would be so amused. <laughs> it's like all this fuss over what I look like, you know? <laughs> do, you have, do you have any of your knitted creations handy? I do. So I'm going to... Who taught you to do that? Your grandmother? Well, my grandmother initially tried to get me to sew. And uh -huh. after I broke too many of her uh, sewing needles on the machine... Yeah. She took me to the nearest yarn shop in Santa Cruz, and that's where I learned to knit and crochet. Oh, no, okay. You know, I ended. I started learning how to crochet lace. So once you do that, everything else is going to be easy. And I'm doing it on my Chinese child hats. So this oh, will be that's right. So this would be one of the hats. Gorgeous. It's a lotus flower. It's got all these lovely little butterflies. Yes. There's a little boy on the top. Hanging <laughs> onto a radish. It's too yeah. much. Yeah. If if people want to learn more about you, may I just offer that they Google you, and then it will lead to various things that you're doing. Um, if they want to know more, if they want to know more, they should go to the San Francisco Senior Beat website because they okay. actually did a full-on interview of me with complete with photographs and everything. Okay. San yeah. Francisco Senior Beat. Yeah, actually, okay. I think it's SF Senior Beat. SF. Okay. Well, thank and, and you, darling. I, I look forward to when we can be together in person, but this is the next best thing, what we got now. Thank yeah, you. you know, and, you know, and you can look up the events. Uh, my talk is on September the 23rd from 2.30 to 3.30. And okay. We'll find you. So I've got a whole PowerPoint slideshow of all my hats. I only have 115, so, you know. <laughs> Overwhelming, overwhelming, like everything about you, overwhelming beauty and just endless. Thank you. You're welcome. So I'm just going to tell our, our viewers goodbye until next time. Okay. Thank you for all that you did with Love Letters and for every step you take to make the world just so gorgeous. Thank you. Oh, thank yeah. you. All right. Bye. Have a nice day. Say goodbye, Snowball. Take care. <laughs>